Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a four-time, and this month, I'm a 22-year uh, survivor, and I'm also a motivational speaker, a speaker mentor, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And hi, I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 24-year survivor, a certified life coach, and the author of my brand new book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. And Becky and I are the co-founders of Breast Friends. And Sharon, before we go on, I wanted to just say to our listeners, Sharon was invited to be a guest on our local program um, here in Portland called AM Northwest. And she did a whole segment with the host there about about Thriving Beyond Cancer. And they put her book up on the screen. So we were all so proud Yay. of you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Very that cool. Great. So. Well, <laughs> anyway. and, I, and I wanted to do the inspirational moment that we do each show. So um, I wanted to talk about the importance of connection this morning um, and how I think our younger generation and even us, I'm guilty of it as well, um, using our phones in a way that kind of puts a... um, a disconnect on on our lives and it was funny because I heard this thing on the radio this morning that um, the newest protest that people are waging these days is to go back to the flip phone (laughs) I thought that was so funny but it's (laughs) but it's great because the problem is this uh, our phones are such an amazing device but we're allowing them to really uh, destroy some of our personal connections whether it's at work or at home, family, this sort of thing. And so what happens is we have lack of eye contact. And so it's really become this this habit that we all have kind of taken on. And at, at, be- at best, it's a habit, but at worst, it's actually become an addiction for people. So uh, I guess maybe uh, thinking about that before you pick up the phone every time you think about it. You know, it's interesting, Sharon, you would say that because one time Bill and I went to a restaurant and we set our phones down and decided just consciously that we were not going to pick them up during dinner. But we also took the moment to look around the room and just see how many people were on their phones, couples having dinner together and they're both on their phones. I mean, maybe they were texting each other. I don't know. But but it's just it's interesting how distracting it, it has become. And so I really appreciate you taking that moment to kind of remind us. And what I also love is this whole idea of of staying connected with each other. That is actually Breast Friends theme for this year um, and through our audience is to just kind of stay connected, find ways to be connected to our community and to each other. And maybe that's what we ought to be doing is just setting all of our phones down. So that's yep. pretty cool. Thank Back you for that. Back to the flip phones, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, thanks for that message. And now let's get on with our show. Our, we have two guests with us today. Uh, they are Jan Bresch and Erica Childs-Warner of the Prevent Cancer Foundation. And I'll tell you, when I heard that we were going to have them as a guest, I was pretty excited because I think we all want to be preventing cancer if we possibly can. So we've been really looking forward to this topic. And hopefully they will be able to answer the question or at least give us some progress on can cancer really be prevented. Welcome, Jan and Erica. So glad to have you, you, ladies. 
Thank you. So, so why don't you each take a moment and give our audience just a little background of yourselves and how you got in this work, and we'll start with Jan. Sure, happy to do this. So um, I actually have a background in broadcast. I was in public broadcasting for 15 years and um, became a mom of a child that had um, a number of medical issues. And as I started to work through those issues, I thought, is this really where I want my career path and to be spending my time? And I decided I really wanted to, to go for social good uh, in the way of helping individuals. And so I ended up at uh, NIH and working there with children and families who had cancer and many other chronic and life-threatening diseases. And um, it just kind of spiraled from there into coming to the foundation 15 years ago and, and working here. So you said NIH. Is that the National Institute of Health? Yes, was... it's the National okay. Institutes of Health. They have a okay. um, home there for uh, children and their families called the Children's Inn at NIH. Aww. And it's kind of like a Ronald McDonald house, but not. The families never pay to stay there. And Aww. they offer all kinds of support services for the families as well. I did not know that. That's beautiful. Thank yeah, you. Great location. Yeah. 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 So, Erica, how about you? Yes. Hi. <clears throat> Thank you for having me. Um, sure. I, I joined the foundation in 2004 following graduate school in public health. I was looking to, I had done some public health work prior to graduate school and was looking to use my background. Um, cancer, as you all know, uh, affects everyone in one way or the other. And so it's been a really great fit for me to do public health work um, for a foundation that I think of as, as kind of small and mighty and um, just doing really um, work that makes a great impact. And I also just wanted to say that I have, I am the mom of two young boys and the mm. struggle is real with uh, screens and parenting in this generation. So I yeah. appreciate your inspirational message for the day. Yeah. Oh, well, for thank sure. you. Yeah, thanks. So, you, you guys, I, I wanted to just kind of touch base with you on your organization a little bit about how it differs because there are so many cancer organizations. Ours is one of them. Um, but there are so many of them out there. And what is? how does your institution or your foundation differ from all the other organizations that are out there? Well, I think the defining definition of the difference between us and other groups is that we are the only U.S. nonprofit that is solely focused on the prevention and early detection of cancer. We don't do treatment or cure or support groups. We are funding um, research and providing programs that are doing free education and screenings. Uh, for communities and mostly the underserved population. So that's our sole focus. And we also look at early detection as a secondary form of prevention. Okay. And is it is your focus on all cancers then, or do you no, tend to focus cancers, on one? Or- no, we Go have ahead. about nine cancers right now that we um, are following. And those are the ones that um, can either be prevented and or um, detected in early stages. And that you okay. can, you know, when detected early, it's most treatable. Right. Yeah, that's for sure, isn't it? Um, so yeah. how? Okay, so I know in the work you do, it's always beneficial to be able to kind of demonstrate, you know, the measurement, the successes that you're having in in prevention. So how do you guys measure your work in prevention? So that's the $64,000 question because prevention <laughs> is really hard to measure. However, we know by looking at the stats of the declining mortality rates in cancer, and a lot of it is due to early detection. We also mm-hmm. are looking at stats from, um, you know, people who are getting cancer. We know right now that 50% of all cancers could be avoided through healthy lifestyle living. If you look at the stats 
for from the American Cancer Society, when we started in 1985, there were about 910,000 people who were newly diagnosed with cancer. And of that, nearly 500,000 of them died. So now you wow. fast forward to uh, 19... You know, 2018, and there's about 1.6 million now diagnosed, but still only a little over 500,000 die from it. So that's really the advances of early detection and better treatments. And wow. so we look at things like that. We look at the declining mortality rates for colon cancer and for colon cancer rates, period, because of early detection. That's fabulous. Good to know somebody's out there watching for us and doing all this work to keep it keep it at bay. So how do you guys, as a foundation, how do you fulfill your mission? And what is, what is your mission? Do you have a mission statement? We do have a mission statement. The mission of the Prevent Cancer Foundation is saving lives across all populations through cancer prevention and early detection. Our vision is to stop cancer before it starts. So um, we fulfill our mission in four different ways. We fund research um, in prevention and early detection strategies only. So we are funding early career scientists um, at some of the top institutions across the country. And now we have started doing funding internationally as well. We also um, do education programs where we are taking evidence-based information about how people can prevent cancer or detect it early through healthy lifestyle choices, vaccinations, and medical screenings out into the community, whether it's um, media campaigns or on-the-ground visits with individuals as well or through our educational exhibits. We are also doing outreach into communities across the U.S. and now internationally where... We're empowering, you know, communities uh, on the best ways that they can implement life-saving programs that benefit all populations, especially, again, the medically underserved. And then we also do a little advocacy on the Hill um, to promote the enactment of laws and regulations that support cancer research and prevention. That's great. We've had a little little taste of that ourselves. We were involved in the um, the the group that was trying to change the the guidelines for mammograms to start at age 50 and Sharon and I had the chance to go to Washington DC and lobby for it to stay at 40 because we were both diagnosed in our 40s she was 40 I was 43 when I was diagnosed the first time and we've met so many women that found their cancer on a routine mammogram in their 40s and it was aggressive so we fought hard for that and we've had some success I'm sure you're aware of where that you know what's going on with that law right now but um and we still have some work to do, but so yeah, we've had a little experience on the hill ourselves. Right, share. And we are active in that as well. If you look at any Good. of the sign-on letters, you will see "Prevent Cancer" there, right with everyone else. Good. Yeah, so, so glad we're to advocating, hear that. and we've actually held briefings on the hill to talk about why it needs to stay at forty. Good yeah. for you. Thank well, you for. Well, if you need any more help, it. we're here yeah. for you. <laughs> Great. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Yeah, that was probably a. Very rewarding thing for both of us to be involved yeah. in that is pretty Definitely. exciting. So it was very cool. Yeah. So, well, thank so you. let's talk about those research grants. I'm really curious. So, what type of research are you actually funding? So we're funding early career research scientists. We're doing $100,000 grants that are payable over two years, and they're sole focus is prevention and early detection strategies, and usually they're very unique, novel ideas. Um, Some of the research that we have funded early was the research behind tamoxifen. Um, 
through spiral CT scanning for the early detection of lung cancer, and also um, the HPV vaccine. We did early uh, research on that as well. So our goal is to fund researchers who are doing novel approaches to the point where they can then go and get the larger grants from NIH. Okay, Let me ask, can I ask a quick question here on tamoxifen. Sure. When I was um, when I went through it the first time back in 1996, I was on a five year regimen of tamoxifen. Now they're saying ten years. Is that due to in part some of the research that you guys have funded, or did that it's, come no, about I, that, differently? That's much farther research than ours. I mean, okay. we we okay. really look at the early side of the research, and okay. um, then you know they go on and find other things. Like some of the research that we fund, it is for a specific area, and then they find that you know that didn't quite work the way we thought, but we found these advantages in a different area, and so there's oh, always some okay. great finding that then they can build upon. Ah, that's great. That's great. Because so, I know so sometimes, you know, something starts out with what for one purpose and then they find out it actually works for ovarian cancer or something. So there's just, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, cool. look at Catruda right now that Merck has that is now, um, you know, has other benefits. So I think that's always the case when you're looking at drugs or you're looking at a science. There, it, we have found it's never exactly what we think it's going to be. Yeah. And that's the yeah, whole that's, point of science. Exactly. Yeah, and true. research. That's how you find it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so it kind of sounds like how you determine what you want to fund. It, it sounds like these are those um, innovative kind of ideas before they've actually kind of qualified for like an NIH uh, grant. Is that what I'm understanding? Exactly. And so we do a, uh, once a year we do research grants. Uh, and so we have people who submit online and they go through our grants portal and they put their proposals out there and they are reviewed. First they go through a um, initial review by our scientific review panel chairs to see do they really fit in the category of prevention and early detection. Sometimes people are stretching to try and get into those categories to get funding. <laughs> it's called but, creative you know, writing. We've yeah. done that. We understand <laughs> that. <laughs> We all do that. So, you know, they go through and they cut it out and they pare it down to say, okay, here are the real ones that are prevention and early detection. And then the grants are then given to our scientific review panel. So it's peer reviewed. And each grant that is submitted is reviewed by two different people. And so then they come together, they grade the grants on, you know, the viability. um, And we use the NIH funding for that. And then they come together as a group and they then talk about maybe the top 20 grants that have been have gotten the highest ratings and determine okay. what are really the fundable what are what are the issues with grants if somebody's not quite there our review panel then goes back to them and says we're not funding this time but here are some ideas that we think you need to think about they give them suggestions or they say you know please think please flush this out a little bit more and then resubmit next time you know, that is so excellent because we've, we've applied over the 17 years. We've been a, an organization. We've applied for several grants. And sometimes, you know, every now and then you get them. And then sometimes you don't get them with no explanation. Right. But the ones I find the most helpful are the ones that do exactly that. They tell you why they're not going to fund you this time and suggest some things. So that's awesome that you guys do that. Good job. Yeah, and we've had people who have resubmitted and then ended up being funded. Great. Right, right, right. Great. That's great. So, okay, so so how do you let people know about these grant opportunities? 
So we advertise through our websites. People know to look for it. We, and then we advertise through a lot of different institutions as well and through societies to know that these grants are available. Our biggest issue is that we always have far more viable grants than we have funding for. And so that's yeah. really a struggle for us to find additional funding because, you know, sometimes you're down to saying, I have funding for 10 grants right now, but there's 12 that are perfect. Mm. How do you choose which mm. 10? Yeah. yeah. How do you? And How do you? Well, go we leave that it up process. to the scientific review panel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. So you know, yeah. when, how do you guys get funded? I mean, is, do you just take donations? You have sponsors. How? Where does your funding come All from? All of the above. We have okay. uh, we have special events that we do. We have okay. um, sponsorships of programs and events. We have individual and corporate donations for different programs mm-hmm. or just donations in general. So we okay. do a little bit of everything. To uh, secure funding. Welcome to our world. Yes, I know. You know, I don't know any nonprofit that doesn't do that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, the the system for awarding community grants now are community grants different than the research grants? I'm assuming. Yes, they are. They're um, focused on community level education and screening projects, including vaccination projects for um, hepatitis and HPV. But they do follow a a similar um, rigorous review process because they are reviewed internally um, to make sure that they are complete and a good fit with our mission and our priorities, but then Mm -hmm. reviewed externally by a panel of cancer professionals from across the country. And they Mm -hmm. look at the top proposals and, and in a similar fashion, they review for merit and give scores and then recommend the top proposals for funding. Okay, that makes sense. And so, do you when when you say um, prevention of cancer, are you also looking at recurrences, or is it just strictly like that first time cancer person? In fact, some of our funding has been reoccurrence. Okay, that's curious. I was curious about yeah. that. We have a program we run, uh, Warrior Women Workshops, which is all educational and that sort of thing. And a lot of those are around you know, dealing with trying to eliminate the uh, opportunity to go through it again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I wish we would have started those a long time ago. Because trying to educate yeah. the public, especially those who've had cancer, that, you know, your, your risk for reoccurrence is higher and here are the things that you need to do and be aware of. Exactly, exactly. So we only have just a short time before our next break, but I just wanted to check in with you about the, um, you mentioned the the international grants. That's pretty exciting too for you, isn't it? Very exciting. Um, That's just happened in the last couple of years for us. And so um, it's also been a little bit of a challenge because we don't have feet on the ground internationally. And so we've been building partnerships to do those grants. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And so on your website, you also talk about how to how to accomplish that, I'm assuming, as well, because we do have some international listeners, so that would be great. Actually, we have quite a few, don't we? That's yes, pretty we awesome. do. Yeah. yeah. So in the process, um, so is the process pretty much the same? It goes through a peer review or, a, a, you know, you go through it and then it goes to a scientific researcher kind of peer group? Correct. The international grants are reviewed externally as well, um, and we uh, have notification lists for upcoming grant cycles for all our grant opportunities. So even um, while our grant cycles are dependent on our own funding, um, 
and people can go on our website and put their names in for upcoming cycles. Okay, wonderful. wonderful. Well, listen, we're going to go out to break, but when we come back, I have a question I just wanted to make sure we touch on, and that if you could, be, uh, if you'd be willing to mention the names of some of the community grants you've awarded, you know, some of the companies that you funded, or you know, whatever. So we're going to go out to break. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the program. We've been talking about the work of Prevent Cancer Foundation with Jan Brisch and Erica Childs Warner. So um, before the break, we were talking briefly about community grants. And so tell us um, some of the community grants that you've had a chance to uh, award funding for. Sure. So we um, started our community grants program in 2007 and annually have awarded um, community grants to groups across the country spanning from Alaska across, you know, west to east coast, um, including um, American Samoa. And the the focus of the community grants really ranges. As Jan said earlier, we focus on cancers that can be prevented or detected early through screening or lifestyle changes. So we um, support a lot of projects that are focused on breast cancer, on colorectal cancer, um, <clears throat> cervical, and, and a growing number um, of applications we see are for hepatitis C and liver cancer. We also see them from skin and others. Um, the 
Grants are focused truly on community-level work. So these are groups that are working at a grassroots level. They may be going door-to-door. They may be a federally qualified health center that is um, doing outreach to educate the community. Um, We have certainly funded uh, projects that are in multiple languages, meeting the needs of the community, as certainly languages and transportation can be um, main barriers to care. And we make sure that for any type of education grant that we award, there needs to also be the the continuum of care in place so that um, any participants are then referred to screening and that also have the opportunity to have any diagnostic work or treatment covered um, because we certainly don't want to educate without having the rest of the continuum in place. Um, That's wonderful. Thank you. And, and we currently are, have 10 community grant awardees from across the country spanning cancers um, working in place, and we're looking forward to awarding another 10 um, in a couple months from now. Wonderful. And did you want to tell us any of those, those uh, uh, grantees' names? Is that appropriate or from like sure. 2017? Sure, I can. I, sure. In the 2017, grantees were... We're funding the Baltimore City Health Department for colorectal cancer work. Um, the Chicago Family Health Center is also doing colorectal work, um, colorectal cancer work. Farm Workers Self-Help is working with immigrant farm workers in Florida, and they're doing um, cancer education across uh, several cancers. We're working with FORCE, uh, face, which stands for Facing Our Risk of Cancer Empowered. Um, they're mm-hmm. based in Florida, but we are supporting them for a pilot project in Kansas where people are um, educating the community members about genetic testing and when it's appropriate and providing telephone, telephone support so that people can really understand the benefit and, and when it is um, appropriate. We're also doing tobacco cessation in Kentucky with Norton Healthcare and supporting um, breast cancer outreach to um, Latinas in Reading, Pennsylvania through um, Penn State Health. Also with um, Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains in Denver, Colorado. And um, we are working with the Cambodian family in California to do breast health and breast cancer awareness. And lastly, the Chow Project in Honolulu, Hawaii, we are supporting their hepatitis B education outreach and screening. That's well, wonderful. That is varied. You've got quite a lot of, of different directions that you're going with that, but with that one thing in, in common that it's all about, you know, educating and, and awareness. So, so that's great. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. I also mentioned that we, uh, the Norton project that we did, we have a campaign going on right now called Think About the Link, which is the link between certain viruses and cancer. We did a screening program down in Norton, which is Appalachia, and it was uh, hepatitis, but we also did um, breast cancer screening, we did cervical cancer screening, we did hypertension, skin cancer, all of that. And it was amazing that before we even opened the doors, uh, we have to be on site for this program, before we even opened the doors, there were 80 women lined up. Uh, wow. to be part of the program. And that day they saw well over 200 women. And there was one woman who I talked to who just happened to be walking out and she knew that I was volunteering that day. And she, I asked her, you know, how did it go? And she said, 
oh my God, it was wonderful. She says, I can't tell you, I was afraid to come. And I said, well, why were you afraid? And she says, well, I was pretty sure I had cervical cancer. And I said, why did you think that? And she says, well, I've had this discharge and this pain. And when I saw this advertisement, it was free. And free is the only way I could do this. I reluctantly came, but I thought, I'm going to have to do something. And she came. And, in fact, she just had a severe yeast infection. But the relief that she had, and it would have continued oh. because she didn't have the funding to go mm-hmm. and pay for the the, for the doctor's visit, let alone any tests. And all of this was wow. free. And so she was given medication that day. She had a follow-up appointment that was completely free to her. Oh, I just amazing. got goosebumps. Yeah. Oh, seriously, my arms just kind of... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's what There's we want is an outcome for these community mm-hmm. programs. We want those people who don't have the resources to get the resources, but also to have culturally appropriate patient navigators there with them so that we make sure they're understanding every step of the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Wow. So when when you're talking about funding research, how much uh, is is specializing in that area of prevention? You know, I, I, you asked me that before we started, and I don't really know. I, I don't know the percentage off my head what, our, what it is. Um, I would have to say that probably more of our research it, lately is in early detection. Okay. Okay. Well, and and that's that's amazing too. I mean, like you said, if if you are going to be diagnosed with cancer, the best way to save your life is to have it diagnosed early. So that it's that's very important as well. Do you have any specific ones that you can talk about there too? Probably the most exciting for us right now is um, spiral CT scanning for the early detection of lung cancer. You know that um, there was a big study and the study ended early because the outcome was that, yes, this will detect lung cancer early. We've been working on this for probably 15 years. We do an annual uh, workshop on quantitative imaging, and that this is where the spiral CT scanning came from. And... um, now it has evolved into that it's also a scanning for COPD, and there are some pos- possibilities for the early detection of breast cancer. All oh, of wow. these things we're exploring from this one thing. That's amazing. I love hearing that. And again, just like Becky said earlier, you know, like some drugs that are are coming into being start with one type of cancer and then they realize, oh, we can use it in this particular type of cancer as well. So that's amazing. I'm glad to hear that. And the the spiral CT scanning is actually a group partnership that the foundation has worked with the same group of people and organizations for, you know, the last 15 years of bringing this to life and saying, okay, what's the next evolution? We now have a grant going on that where they're taking this spiral CT scanning and they are sending out a um, diagnostic tool that they're making sure that um, diagnostic centers across the country and internationally are all on the same wavelength with this diagnostic. They're all calibrating to the same thing. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so obviously there are outcomes that, that you've shared about some of the research and the community grants, but bottom line, can we really prevent cancer? You can prevent cancer. As I said earlier, research has shown that 50% of cancers could be prevented with a health 
healthy lifestyle choice. That's, of course, no tobacco and avoiding the sun. That also comes with behavior change, which, of course, is the most difficult thing. But you can also prevent cancer that if you follow your screening guidelines and say you get a colonoscopy, they find polyps, they remove the polyps, you've possibly eliminated colon cancer. The biggest thing that we want people to know is that you need to know the screening guidelines, but more importantly, you need to know your family health history. Because if your family has a history of colon cancer or um, breast cancer or anything, then those screening guidelines probably have just changed for you. So instead of waiting till, you know, 50 for a colonoscopy, you might be going at 40. And instead of waiting to 40 for a mammogram, you might actually be able to go earlier. So, I mean, those are the kind of things that we want to advocate for. We want people to be their best advocate for themselves, know all of their information and be prepared to take care of themselves. And knowing your own body, what normal is for you. Yeah. I know we, we talk about that a lot with, you know, doing like self-breast exams. And, you know, most people aren't very good about doing them on a regular basis. But at the yeah. same time, if you know what normal is, and you even are in the shower and you find something. That's how Becky found her original cancer. And and so if you know what normal is and you can feel something different, then you go, oh, I might want to get that checked. Mm-hmm. I That's exactly right. I will share a personal family story. I have a sister who's a two-time cancer survivor, and both times she found it herself. The first time, she kept going to her doctor, and she's like Mother Nature, and saying, I know there's something wrong. My body is not the same. There's something wrong. And her doctors started to make her feel like she was a hypochondriac. I mean, she would call in tears. She finally went to a doctor who did a sonogram, and they found a tumor in her bladder. If she hadn't oh been going in, even though she felt so bad. So then fast forward 15 years, and she has a clean mammogram. Six weeks later, she's in the shower and she feels a lump. And she says, well, I've just moved. Maybe I've strained something. I'm not going to worry about it. A couple weeks later, it's still there. She calls her doctor and says, I felt a lump in my breast and I need another mammogram. They said, oh, no, don't worry about it. You've just had a clean mammogram. And she said, oh, that won't work for me. Uh, I want another one. And they (laughs) said, you'll have to pay for it yourself. She said, fine. She had stage four aggressive breast cancer. She's (gasps) now a 14-year survivor. But if she hadn't been her own advocate, she would not be with us today. No, she would not, for sure. Oh, my goodness. And it's just knowing your own body and the changes. It is. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to go back to clarify something real quick. When I found my first lump, I found it myself, but I was in my mid-30s. And I went into the doctor, had a mammogram because, you know, I always heard lump means, you know, cancer. So I went in and had it checked. And they said it was fibrous tissue, not to worry about it. And it wasn't, and so I didn't. <laughs> I don't think mm-hmm. he said don't ever worry about it, but that's what I heard. So <laughs> it was seven years later that I um, went in for a routine mammogram, and that they found the first time on the routine mammogram. It was the, the second time that I found it in the shower, and it had only been 10 months since my previous mammogram because I was getting them every year from that point on. Right. And um, so I found it in the shower, and it was pretty large when I found it because it just finally got big enough. And it was a stage three tumor just 10 months after a clean mammogram. And to that mm-hmm. point of, of believing that, well, I just had a mammogram, I, I'm fine. That doesn't necessarily mean that because a lot can, well, the first off, off, they're not always correct. It's the best tool we have, but they're not always right. correct. But a lot right. can happen in in a year. You know, if you wait a year or you wait two years, a lot can change in that time. Mine changed, went from zero to stage three in 10 months. That's yeah. pretty scary for me. So I just I just wanted to kind of clarify that. But, you know, it is it is a real thing. So before we run out of time in, in this segment, um, 
Can I ask you about the Foundation's Breast Health Education Facilitators Guide? Sounds like a pretty cool thing. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and how it's used? Sure. It's an educational tool. It's um, Breast Health Education for Young Women. So okay. it's a facilitator's guide that is basically um, set up to be run in groups of young women, and they learn about breast health, they learn about breast cancer, and they... Um, are encouraged to advocate for their own health. A lot of what we are just talking about, about knowing your body, knowing what's normal for you, about talking to your family, about family history. Uh, the guide was developed based on a program in the D.C. public high schools, um, and then the guide was developed so that people across the country, groups across the country, would have the information available to run breast health education sessions in their communities or in their schools. Um, mm-hmm. And the guide is easy to use. It's got all the instructions there, and it has interactive activities like role-play scenarios where the young women will practice talking to a provider or talking to their grandmother or their mother or Mm -hmm. um, just talking to friends about their concerns or about their family history um, and really designed so that they can understand the risks of breast cancer and the screening guidelines, and that they can encourage and go home from the sessions and encourage their um, female caregivers to get screened if age appropriate. Um, You know, we had stories when we were in the D.C. public high school, similar kind of anecdotal stories of girls going home with the information from the breast health, following the breast health education sessions, and learning for the first time that a grandmother had died from breast cancer because it wasn't spoken of. It wasn't That's talked right. about. And so, and so true. <laughs> so true. You know, having them learn what their family history and, and at a young age when it's really important to know about breast health, even before you're at that age of um, mammography. You know, when they when I was first diagnosed, they asked me if I had a family history, and I said no because I didn't know that my dad's mom had breast cancer, his sister had breast cancer, and it wasn't until after I had cancer that my cousin developed cancer, and then my mom got it after me. And she's so funny; she goes, "I didn't think I could get it from you." <laughs> but anyway, but I had no idea that there was a family history either behind me or coming forward. You know, um, until I got it and started talking to the family, and my dad says, "Oh no, my my mom had." breast cancer and my sister had it twice and wow. you know that was pretty scary Crazy. so yeah so yeah, it might have been right. referred to as a female issue yeah exactly than cancer yeah exactly so is this we only have about a minute left is this um facilitator's guide is it available through download is it free how, do, how does a person get get started yes. with that it is available and just quickly it's available on our website if you go to preventcancer.org you can find it or you can go directly by preventcancer.org forward slash breast health guide without okay. any spaces. Um, and it is So a may we download. put that on our website? Is it because Absolutely. Is, or, or Facebook or whatever? Because I think that if people had access to that, there's a lot of young women out there. And when you say for it's designed for young women, we're talking like teenage girls up to what age on Into average? College and, and and frankly, okay. um, you know, they're uh, the sessions and the activities can be done with a range of ages. Okay. Okay. Well, I think it's a great idea. And Sharon, I think we should do that. What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we have um, a couple of other resources uh, for young people. So I think that would go right along with yeah. that. 
Absolutely. Okay, so you don't mind if they download it, use it to their heart's content. I suppose you might want some feedback. So um, if they wanted to do that, that'd be all right too, right? Give you some feedback. Yes. Okay, well, we're going to go out to break, um, and we've got some really interesting things coming up on the other side of it. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. For Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio, visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking about the work of Prevent Cancer Foundation with Jan Broche and uh, Erica Childs Warner. And before the break, we were talking about this amazing guide that you have. Um, and it sounds like it's something that, um, uh, if I understand correctly, uh, it was actually launched because one of these grants. It was launched based on a program, which was a community-level program um, we were supporting in the D.C. public high schools, where D.C. has longstanding, had the highest or one of the highest mortality rates from cancer, uh, despite being the nation's capital. So it was to um, educate young women in the D.C. metro area. Yeah. And so did you teach it? Did they teach it in the the schools? How, How was it used? Yes, um, we we were in the D.C. public high schools, and um, the f- sessions were led by a young breast cancer survivor who was diagnosed at age 24. 
Um, The program was run with our support and in partnership with um, the Howard University Cancer Center. And so the um, survivor, a a wonderful woman, and she would go in and in uh, just in the first couple minutes, she would say, you know, I mean, imagine high school girls saying you're going to have some health education session. And then she would announce how she was diagnosed at age 24 and there would be silence in the room and everyone would have the utmost you know, attention to that session. Yeah, Yeah. totally shock. I mean, because again, I mean, even even when we run across a very young woman who goes through it, it's like, oh, you're so young. That just, it just breaks my heart. But, you know, unfortunately it does. My own daughter was diagnosed uh, in August, 33 years old. So yeah, it's pretty scary stuff when, and so I would imagine having that impact in the high school would be fabulous. They would go home and they'd go, Mom, have you had a mammogram? <laughs> <laughs> well, and Sharon, to your point earlier, when we first started you know, talking today, you were talking about how it, when you were diagnosed, nobody, you didn't know anyone who, who lived from this. It's, you know, it, it's something happens to mom and grandma and your aunt, but not somebody who's like your college age sister, you know? Right, right. So it's, it's really, it's frightening when that happens. And I think it really opens a lot of eyes. So really, truly hats off to you guys for creating this, this guide and, and pr- putting it out there for free for people to use. I think that's yeah, I'm excited fabulous. to look at it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So yeah. what type of community programs does the uh, Prevent Kenshin Foundation produce or fund? Um, I know you, you mentioned the, um, uh, and before we were on the air, the uh, Mama Van, that sounds fabulous, too. Yes, thank you. We um, So in addition to our grants, our research grants and our community grants, um, we have a longstanding program that we have run called Celebramos La Vida and have also had a long history of supporting the George Washington University Mama Van. Both programs focused on breast cancer. And so for Celebramos La Vida, it's... Um, there are four different sites, three in the D.C. metro area and one outside of Chicago, and it is focused on Hispanic women um, aged 40 years and over, though it, they certainly do see women under 40, and it's breast and cervical cancer education and screening to, you know, under, underserved Hispanic women. And it's a really a holistic program looking at this, as we discussed earlier, the continuum of care. So it's educating women in the, through clinics and in the community. And then it's providing them with mammograms, free mammograms and pap tests and navigating through them through any follow up care or treatment that's necessary. And, and through that program, um, it's been over 20 years. Uh, the program began in 1994 and Thousands of, I believe, were over fifteen thousand mammograms have been provided wow. to women at the sites, mm-hmm. um, and, and certainly cancers have been detected. And and you know, women have through this had the care provided to them that that was necessary. So we're really proud of our support um, of the Celebramus Levita program, um, and we. Uh, ha- for over 20 years, um, supported the GW, the George Washington University Mama Van, which is a big van, goes around the D.C. Um, area and provides um, mammography to women, both at work sites and community sites. Our support of the van was focused on community sites. 
That's, That's great. You know, we have a we have a partnership with with a local provider here. Um, we have Sharon and I have been going into the prison down here, the women's prison, for about twelve years now. And one of the things that we do there is obviously offer breast health information, and we're also providing a self esteem class. But the thing that we discovered several years ago, I think back in maybe two thousand seven or eight, when the women in the prison need a mammogram or want a mammogram just to have their you know a, a screening mammogram. The, what they had to go through to go get one was horrendous, involving you know chains and shackles and being taken out in public and with an inmate you know stamp across their jumpsuits and and we get that there there needs to be security and safety, but what would happen is they just wouldn't sign up because they didn't want to go through that. So we heard about it and we reached out to um, our local partner here, Tuality Healthcare, and they have a mamma van. And so now, since then, that it took a year to kind of line it all up and get it coordinated. But that mammal van's been going to the prison every every month now, pretty much for the last several years, and to do screening mammograms. And so we and we know that they've caught several. So we we know and understand and value the importance of that. And it's 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 wonderful that you guys are funding that because it's going. I'm sure to women who normally wouldn't have easy access. So good good job for doing that. The the woman I talked to yesterday um, at the prison, that's how she found hers. So, yep, it's amazing. That mama van's very helpful and uh, offers services to people who wouldn't normally get get their mammograms. So that's great. So how did your partnership with George Washington University get going? Well, the partnership actually started between um, one of the radiologists at um, the hospital, at the university hospital, and our president and founder, Beau Aldiger. Um She happened to be talking to her one time about the mortality rates in the D.C. area and the need for a mamma van, and, you know, the university hospital just didn't have the funding for it. So Bo actually raised the funding for it. In 1995, we gave them wow. a million dollars to buy the first van. And then right. when it was time, you know, they all have a shelf life. When it was time for the second van, we didn't uh, provide the million, but we arranged the million for them. And actually, it was 1.5 at that point to do it. And then we've supported wow. it for 20 years to make sure that it did go into the community settings, and especially in the areas that don't have the services. But they also go into the workplace as well. So we know working women, they do not go out as often as they should to follow their screening guidelines. But if that van is sitting right out front, it's pretty hard to <laughs> pretty hard to miss. Yeah. 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 It's hard yeah. to hard to find enough excuses <laughs> then, right? So exactly. so where where does the van go? Then does it go into the more rural areas or is it primarily just the the cities or how does how does that all work? So the GW um, Mammoth Van is in uh, D.C., Maryland, and Northern Virginia. So not rural oh, sites, okay. but certainly um, underserved communities um, within the D.C. metro area. We also, through a community grant, provided funding for a Mammoth Van in Nevada for a year, and they traveled all across the state and really hit rural areas. So Wonderful. there are certainly um, Mammoth Vans across the country um, providing, as Jan said, and as you said, you know, to not only the people who are insured, but not taking the time to providing access for those insured and then providing mammography to those who are uninsured or underinsured. Exactly. So that makes sense. So so are all the foundation's community programs um, 
Well, I guess we just answered think, that question. I was yeah. going to say it's in, in Washington, but that's not true. So you just yeah, did one in, in Nevada. Are, that's fabulous. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. makes mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> Well, let me, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your education efforts. Um, you guys have some really unique ones. Why don't you just talk about it? We have, you know, a couple minutes or a few minutes. So, so we try to yeah. find ways to go out into the community and educate them about different types of cancer and what they can do to reduce their risk. And more, we've had a traveling exhibit called the Super Colon that has traveled the U.S. It's a walkable I've seen colon. That. You walk in one end and out the other, and it shows you a healthy I've colon. I've seen that. Fun with cancer. <laughs> yeah, we've had it at any given time. Six might be traveling the U.S. We also have used to have an exhibit that was actually eliminated during a hurricane that was called Check Your Insides Out from Top to Bottom, and it covered eight different types of cancer. So there was a breast wall, there was the super colon, there was um, Connie Lung News talking to you about lung cancer, there was a mouth so that you could learn about oral cancer. So there was a, a number of things. But one of the things we've done mostly now is we're doing a lot of media uh, and digital campaigns. And so one of the most successful campaigns we've done in the last, say, five years is called Check Your Mate. And you can find it at... Um, preventcancer.org. And what it does is it is, you know, a lot of times your mate might be the first one who feels that lump or sees that mole on you. And so it could be whether the lump is your breast or your um, testicles. So this has um, a man and a woman. It might have two men and it might have two women. And they're very, what used to, we used to say risque pictures. You might have a man standing behind a woman and holding two sliced grapefruits in front of her breast. And then you might have a, you have a man standing behind another man holding two baseballs down his testicles, and the um, saying is something like, "He's your bestie. Check his testes." And so <laughs> yeah, I have to tell you that campaign That's was funny. so successful. I bet. It crashed our website twice. We've had <gasps> billboards in uh, Times Square with them, and five years later, it still is our most successful campaign because it speaks to people. We're now getting yeah. ready to launch a millennial part of our campaign for Think About the Link, which is the link between viruses and cancer, and that, again, is for the young audience, and it will have the same type of um, digital images that we'll be using for that as well. Well, you know, it goes to show you that people love controversy. (laughs) And it gets a lot more attention than boring. (laughs) It does. A little shock value is okay, you know. Yeah, it does. And, you know, you're not showing anything bad. (laughs) No. No, it's great. We've people come up and ask us if the super colon was a a moon bounce. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I have walked through that and thought, whoa, this is kind of gross, but really cool at the same time. So... I, I loved it, and people were walking through it and then going back around and walking through it again. So it really has, has a lot of impact. Well, that's really great. So the response to this, these kind of campaigns, I, I'm guessing, have been pretty good. They've been overwhelming. They've crashed our website. You know, yeah, you um, the response, and they send them out, and they, you know, they. Uh, I think the first time we sent out the check your mate in the first month, it had over five hundred thousand impressions. Wow. Wow, yeah. sure, and we need to put something controversial on our website. I don't know what it's going to be. But. Let's, let's think of something. Help. Let's think yeah, of that. No kidding. We need a, mar- yeah. a marketing person for that. Well, listen, ladies, we're. this has been such a lovely conversation. I've been totally enmeshed in everything you're saying, and I love that. I want, I'd like to ask you for two, for two things. First off, could you share again your website if people want to give www. more information? www.preventcancer.org. 
Okay. And if somebody wants to become one of your sponsors or partners to help save, you know, raise money so you can fund another mammal van or whatever, do they do that through that website or is there another they do. route? They'll actually see on our website a place where you can do beneficiaries, do sponsorship. It's all there and it has contact people to, to reach okay. out to. Wonderful. And then are there other resources on your website too, links to other groups or whatever? Uh, there are links to other groups. The site okay. is just brand new. We just launched okay. it new two weeks ago, so we're still updating Wonderful. some stuff. But we have resources. We have a guide to preventing cancers. It covers nine different cancers. It tells you everything from statistics to um, how to reduce your risk, what are symptoms, Wonderful. what are yeah, all of those. So that's well, we are out of time. <laughs> I do. I hope you have to cut you off. I'm so so sorry. That's but, okay. Um, We do need to cut you off because we're running out of time here, but um, we do also want to remind our listeners that we have a great website too. It's breastfriends.org. If you need information, please, you know, take a look, see what you see. And we'll, I I think we should add a link, as we mentioned to this group. Um, And y'all also can make a donation to our organization online. So we will be back next week. Until then, remember there's always hope and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.